Hello and welcome to Sports Communities Doing Sport Differently podcast series. My name is Steve Pallas and I'm the founder and CEO of Sports Community and it is my great pleasure to host this podcast series. This series highlights how many community sports clubs are thinking differently about how they can attract participants to their club, what options they create, what participation options and the amazing results that those clubs that are doing sport differently are getting. In each episode, I have the wonderful pleasure of interviewing volunteers from many different community sports clubs who are doing sport differently. When we say doing sport differently, we mean creating participation options that are different or separate from the traditional competitive options that most clubs might offer. Throughout the series, we also interviewed a range of different researchers from different universities who were all studying sports participation from really different angles. And there was many themes coming out of these interviews, but one theme that came out time and time again from the researchers was that the undeniable fact that the way people want to participate in sport and recreation is changing. The reality is fewer and fewer people actually want to compete in the competitive or participate in the competitive formats of our community sport. These competitive formats are often constrained by rigid schedules, weekly fixtures, long seasons, the requirement to train, big time commitments, etc. with many, many people now preferring more flexible, more social, less competitive options at least initially when they're joining sports clubs or entering new sports for the first time. Now, this is not to say the clubs should stop offering their competitive sport options, quite the contrary, in fact, but it is clear that the vast majority of people do want to participate in sport differently to the way that they have done previously. So throughout this podcast series, we'll explore what this actually means for community sports clubs, how they should should, can, really should consider evolving the different participation options that they offer to ensure that they remain strong and relevant to their local communities. Just by way of background, in just about every community sports club that we work with, the the most, the highest prominent goal or often the biggest goal that they have is increased participation. So that was the impetus behind this podcast series, how can we help community sports clubs increase their participation? So what we found was that there was this considerable research in this area and particularly research facilitated by Vic Health in their partnership with La Trobe University which identified six key principles for designing and delivering sports-based programs, especially targeting those people who are less active or actually not even participating in sport. So each week we look at clubs, see how they, they applied these principles and look at the amazing results they're achieving and why they are achieving these results. Each week, each interview will show how clubs attracted new participants to their club. In every instance, how adding a new group of participants actually helped build their club, supported their club, and added value to their competitive teams. 
So our first episode, I'm really excited in this Doing Sport Differently podcast series to be joined by Dr. Erica Randall from the Latrobe University Centre for Sport and Social Impact. Dr. Randall has been researching sports participation and seeking to understand how people really want to participate in sport and how community sports clubs can attract people not currently participating to their clubs. From this research, it was from the it was from this research that the six principles emerged. And so it's really, really exciting to talk to Dr. Randall, introduce the principles and and get her perspective on how and why they become so effective at, at helping clubs recruit people to new people to their clubs. Finally, before we get into the interview, I'd really like to acknowledge our partnership with Vic Health, and we want to thank them for the opportunity to share the stories and successes of sports clubs who are doing sport differently. Also, if you'd like more information on this podcast series or any other information that will make it easier to run your sports club, simply go to the sports community website, www.sportscommunity.com.au and check out all the resources there that make it easier for people to run their community sports clubs. So without going into anything else, it's my great pleasure to introduce the Doing Sport Differently podcast series and the very first guest, Dr. Erica Randall from La Trobe University. Thank you, Steve. Good to be here. Now, no, no, it is fantastic to have you uh, throughout this whole Doing Sport Differently series. And we've had over 20, 20 interviews. We Each week we, we talk about the six principles of doing sport differently and how, how clubs and sports can use them to engage audiences that are not currently participating in sports. So, I thought it was timely that we actually went a bit back into history and give us, if you can give us a little bit of background, first of all, how the principles came about and what drove them. And that'd be, um, then we can kind of dive into each of them moving forward. Yeah. All right. Um, so the six principles came about probably two years ago um, after our centre has been working in, in sport for about 10 years. Um, for the past six years, we've been working specifically with Vic Health and a little bit with Sport Australia around participation. Yeah, how to engage um, those people that are perhaps less active or those people that aren't as sporty and were engaged in sport. How do we actually get them involved in sport and be able to reap all the health and mental health benefits um, that it can deliver? And yeah, a couple of years ago, Vic Health said to us, can you run a workshop for all of our partners? And we want you to tell them everything you know in one day. <laughs> and we went, okay, yes, all right. Um, so yeah, I actually wrote a lot of them sitting on a plane. As uh, We're just talking about planes, but just, okay, what do we know? So we just wrote down everything that we, we knew about um, trying to engage more people in sport. And we actually had 12 principles on that one day we delivered a couple of years ago. Um, and then and then uh, went through another process with Vic Health and really distilled it down to these six principles. What we've found though, I think in the last couple of years since we released the principles is people have been saying to us, oh, can you tell us now what are the six principles for you know engaging women or what are the six principles for engaging youth? Or what are the six principles for just, you know, engaging anybody? Or And what we've found really, these six principles stack up 
for all those things. And so we sort of stand behind them now as a really, really good guide for sport in a lot of contexts. Oh, and I think as through the Doing Sport Differently um, live streams and and soon to be podcasts, where effectively each club that's applied for a Vic, Vic Health grant to, to do sport yep. differently comes on and tells their story. And I've found it's just extraordinary the number of different audiences that were not participating, little little niche groups within the community that were not participating. Uh, and unquestionably, the principles stand up and uh, and we've now used them, we ingrain them in the work that we do with peak bodies in engaging participation and it, it it's it's fantastic. So I guess we'll we'll dive into to each of them, but uh, the principle number one, it sounds so logical, but it's so often not done. Engage with the target audience or target market through the design yeah. and reduce the barriers. Yeah, it is really important. I agree. I think it's something really simple. People ask me what I do for a job. It's like, yeah, I just talk to people. And it is really, you know, and I think this is something I think it's a key message for clubs is clubs often look at this and get a bit scared by it all and think it's this great big thing. But actually it's not. It's just saying who is in my community that's not here and how can I talk to them and find out why not and how can I work with them in a way, you know, to find out how we can break down some of those barriers. I think, you know, a really simple one is like golf. You know, golfers um, looking at how they can get more women and girls into their club. So we'll go talk to women about what they think of your clubs. Where do we find women? It's like, well, for every man that's in your golf club, there'll be a woman, you know, a wife, a sister, a friend at work. Yeah. Um, it's just that simple. It doesn't have to be um, a big target market research, um, you know, activity. It is just as simple as, yeah, talking to people. So um, I think that is why it's principle one, because it's where you should start. I always say, yeah, if you can't, you can't fix a problem if you don't know what it is. Um, I can give you an example. So like me personally, I grew up playing basketball. So if um, you ask me to go play a game of netball, I have all types of barriers about that. And, and a lot of the time sports just think, oh, it's about time, money and opportunity. But you could put a netball, you know, court next to my house with my friends, make it free. And I still wouldn't want to play because I feel intimidated by the rules of netball because I don't know what they are. And I actually heard a lot of this when I was going around and talking to youth girls about netball is um, for girls that had never played netball, they found it really intimidating to go play with other girls who play netball in the community because they felt, you know, this fear of judgment. If I do something wrong, if I don't know the rules, then they, 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 you know, they laugh at me. And I saw it, you know, on the court. Um, what netball did that was really clever was develop that fast five game. And that's, yep. you know, a game with less rules um, and it's a bit more easier to play. Now I would go and play that, you know. Um, and I don't think it's about clubs. I don't think clubs need to necessarily go out and change their sport. It's not about changing sport. It's just about understanding that there are different barriers to playing sport rather than those really popular time opportunity and money you know it that's not just what it is yeah well, I, I mean I grew up in in sports clubs and and there was this underlying assumption that if you didn't play it was because you yeah. didn't want to and for me it wasn't until I read the market segmentation research that came out um, commissioned by the sports commission in, in 2012, that's that effectively said, 
one in four Australians, 14 to 73, wanted to participate in organised sports clubs but but weren't. They wanted yeah. to. And, that, and so that focusing on the barriers and taking and understanding what the barriers are, taking them away, what we what we now learn is you take those barriers away and you actually quite get a strong strong tidal wave almost of new participants coming into the club. Yeah, that's right. I think that's right. I think true engagement and really listening to people and really addressing the barriers um, is a way of saying we value you, you know, yeah. and we're listening to you. And it, it makes me think, yeah, like, I, you know, before I may have thought, well, I don't belong in that club because they don't know me. They don't really want to know me. But in in just listening to people, you're actually saying, I do want to know you. You know, I recognise you're part of the community, um, you know, and this is somewhere you're welcome to be. Come on in. Yeah, and vice versa from the club perspective, I think there was, well, and I certainly had it looking at it going, well, they don't want to play because yeah, they don't yeah. want to play. You know, but there was nothing further from the truth now and, and understanding yeah. it. And one of those barriers that you you just talked about, that entry level at all ages, it's yeah. if you miss the you know, the the entry, oh, yeah. the, the net set goes, that grade year six or six year old to eight year old kind of entry level, a lot of sports find it don't make it challenging for more mature youth. Yeah. And then certainly adults to come into the supports and 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 learn the game and, and learn the rules, learn the lingo, learn how to score for God's sake, and those sorts yeah. of things. I think it's a good segue to uh, principle three: is that participation should cater to different levels of skill, ability, and fitness. Yeah, um, and and that and that's why I think a great example of that is the soccer mums. Yes. You know, um, yeah. Uh, I think what we learned from that is that women were, you know, a lot of women now, I think, you know, it's different now. Girls are obviously playing football, you know, when they're younger. But we never had that opportunity when we were young. It wasn't around that game. So we're not familiar with it. But if that's what our kids are into, then, yeah, we want to learn about it. We want to play. You know, we want that opportunity. But it is, it's really hard to get the entry level right. Um, I think there's another part, you know, to that is that pathway, which is... um, um, principle five, which is participants need a clear pathway for retention or transition as their skill, fitness or interest change. And I think that's that. It's about looking at what are the pathways in our club or our sport, um, both that, yeah, how do we get people in? And some of that is about, you know, how quickly do we get them to competition? You know, what if I just want to come down and train for a few weeks and see if I like it and build up some confidence? But it, that people are so quick to say, oh, can you come and play competition on Saturday? You know, so no, I just want to build my confidence up first, you know. So it's being really conscious about what's that entry-level pathway for people. But then it's also about what happens at the other end. I heard a lot from um, kids when I was travelling around and talking to kids about sport. Um, I heard a lot from um, girls particularly, but also guys in that 14 to 17-year-old category, if they got injured during that time, they found it impossible to come back into the sport because what they found is even if they took as little as sort of four weeks off is that at that in that age group, people are progressing so fast that the sport almost just passes them by and they've got no way of coming back in. And that was a really big thing about that transition for, for youth going from their junior competitions up to their senior competitions. Something happens around that time, they drop off. 
they find it really hard to get back in, which I think is a really it's a really big thing for clubs to think about. Um, mm. Yeah, how we keep youth and how we transition them then to the senior club environment. Well, the word you used a couple of times already is confidence, and yeah. again, one of the staggering things. It, as a person who's grown up in, in community sports clubs, that people wouldn't just naturally get out of their cars and walk in, introduce themselves and say, hey, I'd, I'd love a game or I'd love to participate or whatever. What we're finding is almost the opposite is true. People really struggle to get yeah. out of the car and and, yeah. and break into that club environment. Is that what you found in the research? Yeah, a lot. And it's why we came up with that. Um, so principle two, think about participants as customers and consider their total experience. What we find a lot, a really big barrier to sport is um, that self-efficacy. So can I actually see myself doing it? You yeah. know, and if I lack confidence, which a lot of people like you say, if, if you didn't have that experience as a youth or even as you're getting older, you've left sport and, you know, you're thinking about trying to take up activity again, that confidence about will I be any good, you know, um, am I going to make a fool of myself? I don't know the rules is a really big one. I don't yes. know the rules. It's especially really for team sports because I know that other people are going to be relying on me and then, yes. you know, all yes. eyes are going to be on me. Um, yes. So we came up with these five touch points um, around areas where you can help people build their confidence and build their self-efficacy. Um and there's sort of those points of the experience um, where people will think, yeah, you know, I, I'm building my confidence and I actually feel supported and I belong here. What we say to people all the time is always start with the social. If you take anything away from doing sport differently, always think about how you are making people in your club feel like they belong, that sense of belonging. Because I think um, I've probably gone a bit off tangent, Steve, sorry, right. but I'll come back. But <laughs> I think people, you know, when you talk to people about why do you play at your club, why do you love your club, why do you stay, they don't say, oh, it's because, um, you know, we have the best, you know, football game or the best netball game. They'll often talk about the coaches or their team that are supporting them or the presidents, you know, really supportive or, you know, it's that sense of belonging. I belong there. I feel like I belong. So anything that you can do for new people coming into your club to really say to them, you belong and you, you don't have to learn the social norms of the club. You belong and we're welcoming you. Come on in, you know, and these five touch points um, sort of do that along the way, if that makes sense. And, and one of those big ones, you talk about confidence and, and getting in the car. Oh, my gosh. We hear that I, I could, if I had a dollar for every time I heard someone say to me, I got to the club and I couldn't get out of the car, I'd be not here. I'd be in Hawaii somewhere brilliant. It's, yeah. And I think I, I, for those experienced club administrators like myself, yeah, that is just incomprehensible to to understand. And, if, and when I first heard it, I was very sceptical. But as I yeah. said, this is the 20th or so interview in the Doing Sport Differently series, and every single week yeah. this theme comes up. And it's it, – it's, it's, it shocked me because the way that in my roles on committee and um, in coaching clubs, et cetera, the way that we were making us, we thought we were welcoming people was actually 
only suited to those that wanted to be competitive participants. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So I do want to come to the 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 social side and the competition versus social participation yeah. point, but I just do want to dwell dive into this this efficacy side of it. So yeah. when you've got the point number one there, the marketing, it's about having the images of the people, the audience that you're looking to attract so they can see themselves in yeah. the club, isn't it? That's what it is. I think it's as simple as that. It's just the more someone can see themselves doing the sport at your club, being at your club, the more their confidence grows and they and they can get there. I can give you a great example. As you know, I um, I wanted to take up um, swimming. What's it called? You know, swimming in you know the exercises in the water aerobics. Um, you know, and and when you look at the marketing, I couldn't understand what to do. You know, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know where to park. I didn't know how early to get there at the thing. And it's all of those things. I think when you know what the sport club environment is, you understand the social norms. You understand yes. what to do. So even if I was going to a football club in Toowoomba or a football club in Tamworth, I know what to do because they're all pretty much the same and I, I would be confident that I could do it. But if I don't have that sport experience, you think of anything that you try to do something new. Well, you ask a sport participant to go to an art class. Try and think of it that way. If you were going to an art class, would you know what materials to take, how much experience you would have to know, you know, do you know how to have to know how to draw an outline of something before you go? It's the exact same thing, but you know, into sport. So the more you can get someone to see themselves doing it, the more likely they are to take that next step along the in along the journey. So with the marketing, yeah, images that look like me, you know, so are they girls or, or if you're trying to attract women or less active people, are they people that actually look like normal people, you know, not um, you know, normal people, and then explain to people what to do. This, and if you can have a picture or a video or something, you know, even better. So this is, you know, this is where you'll park. This is when you should pay. And, and the next one is, you know, that, that welcome is uh, touch point three. If you can have a picture of somebody that they're going to meet, the coach or a welcoming person, and have that person in the car park, then when I drive in, I see that person I think, yes, I'm here. And they, that social connection, that sense of belonging has already started to build. Right. You know, I know this is Steve and he's going to walk me in, you know? Well, and, and see, compare that to the experience of most clubs where the coach will wait inside. That's right. Well, first of all, you know, to come and try. There's typically just meet the coach. Yep. At inside the arena or inside the facility. Whereas what we're saying is, if people drive in and then drive out, we have to be going out into the car park, welcoming, yeah. welcoming them and walking them in. And yeah. I hear this every single, single session. And yeah. one of the sessions reminded me, you are talking about being able to see yourself in the images. Um, Kate Haverfield from the Warrnambool Triathlon Club is a, is been a yeah. guest on, on the series and, and their images show, in this case, it was about getting women that weren't participating. So women not in lycra, not in athletics gear, not riding, they're riding the the 30-year-old bicycle that everyone's got in the shed. It didn't matter. It was a BMX, not a racing bike. It was it, it, that was baggy shorts, sorry, baggy pants. It was everything that that elite triathlon is not. And so people could yeah. relate to that. 
Yeah, that's right. It's, it is. It's it's really simple, isn't it? And I think you don't think about it because you just think, well, um, you know, if I want to attract people to playing golf, I just put a golfer there. But actually, yeah, an image says so much. And it's not until you start looking at it differently, which I guess is why it's called doing sport differently, it's not until you actually look at it through the eyes of somebody else and you actually so actually that's not a really relatable image, you know. Yeah. I think your point about the coach too is a really good one and I think a lot of people that turn up to new sessions, you know, the the coach or the deliverers there and they're often trying to sort out their equipment yeah. and make sure everything's right and they don't actually switch on until the program starts at 10. They don't switch on till 10. Yes. But it's actually the 15 minutes before is the most important so that's why we usually say if you can have somebody else do the welcoming, then that's fine. You know, leave the coach n- not to not be part of it because I think there's a part of saying, you know, introducing people to the coach, but don't put added stress. And I think that's the really big thing for clubs. This isn't supposed to be a stressful thing. You don't have to change a whole lot. It's just thinking about the little points that are happening for people that um, cause them some distress where you could just switch them up really easily and make them a moment to say, oh, I feel like I really belong. And, well, and an important one is, yeah, just introducing people to each other. So yeah. you could walk me in and say, Erica, look, here's Claire. She's turned up five minutes earlier. You know, you guys have a chat and then the welcome person can head back to the car park for the next one. I was talking yesterday to the um, the coordinator of a softball batter up program in so an yeah. entry level um, for softball and they very clearly had the deliverer or the coach and then they had two people that, that their job were the welcomers and right. they welcomed brought them in introduced the kids to the coach and then for the duration so for the one hour of the coaching session they were stay with the parents introduced the club talked about yep. the, the options talked about the players the history and she was talking about in that one hour, you could see the, the the relationships building, the connection with the club building, uh, and and really positive outcomes coming from that investment of volunteer time. Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, we heard a lot from that that project we worked on about um, yeah looking at parents of junior clubs um, and and thinking how can they engage better with um, with the club. And because essentially you want parents to feel part of it and, you know, yeah. one, for retention of their kids, but second, for volunteering, yeah. you know. And, um, and maybe future yeah. participants. Yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of them um, don't understand the rules of the sport to no. the point that, you know, they feel confident they could actually um, umpire or coach or even just watch and comment and support the kids, you know, have a decent conversation with them afterwards. And oh, I think about- also... Oh, sorry, yeah. sorry. Or what about asking them to score a cricket scoreboard? A scoreboard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. How would I know how to do that? But I think, yeah. And and also playing with the kids at home, which I think is important, you know, yes. in the backyard and really making sure that sport becomes part of the family. You know, it's part of what we do as a family. Yeah. And, and the scoring, you're right. Because I think what you're saying is you, you you have people there spending that hour with them. You're doing so much. You're saying, here are two people that care about you that you can ask questions of probably the whole life that you're in the club. It's not just yeah. for this hour, but you'll feel comfortable asking them questions whenever you need help. Yeah, That's yeah, massive. Yeah. And yeah. two, you're saying, you know, we value you being here and we're, we're putting these two people here to talk to you about it so that if we did ask you to score next week, 
even if you weren't confident enough to do it, like even if you didn't think, oh God, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, you would still feel confident enough to do it because you um, you feel that social support, which is this um, touch point number four is about correcting mistakes. That's yes. what people are afraid of. Yes. I'm, a, I'm afraid that I'm going to make a mistake and someone's um, going to yell at me. I'll, I'll never forget. I was watching all these kids play, um, these boys play rugby. And um, I, I went around a few schools and watched all these boys playing rugby. And they, what I saw was is that for a, a young boy playing um, rugby or AFL, a ball coming towards them is the scariest thing. That's my dog. Is the scariest thing um, for them. One, because if they don't catch it, they're going to get laughed at by everybody. They're going to make a mistake and the team's going to be, um, you know, hating on them. But secondly, because if they do catch it, what do they do with it? What do they do you know? with it? Yeah. Mm. And so that that feeling of if I feel um, secure enough to make a mistake, then I'm more likely to engage and feel confident enough to say, well, I can be here, I can make a mistake, I can learn from it and we'll all move on, you know? Yeah, that making a mistake could be not finishing a walk or not you know, yeah. a walking group or, or not picking up or slowing down people that you're with. Yeah. Um, I'd like to change the tone or the, the, just the, the focus a little bit and pick up one of your points. You said the foundation of the club or the, the, the experience should be social. and. Yeah. Yet, when we look at the participation side of 99% of clubs, the only participation option they offer is competitive, you know, yeah. competition style. So yeah. how does that, where do you see the role of social sport, introductory sport fitting in here and, and how important is it for clubs to be looking at introducing social sport into their club environment? Yeah, I think it's a tough one. I grapple with this a lot too because I can see that clubs, Clubs see themselves as a place for competitive sport. You know, that's what they're designed to do and that's often what um, people, they think people come to us for. I think times are changing now and I think um, that com competitive sport will always have a place but if you really want people to come into your club um, and, and, and feel welcome for those entry points and, again, at that retirement level, what do we do when we finish? Then a yeah. social sport alternative is a really great one, you know, and, and it may be it's just somewhere, it's sort of like a soft entry level point um, and it can be, yeah, a soft sort of exit point for people that they can play or it can be the only thing that people do. When we worked with hockey um, working on their social sport strategy, what we also found is there's a group of people who play competitive sport that also use social sport as a bit of a training tool, you know, so they play both. So actually, there are all these different target markets for social sport. I think it's really difficult to say to a club, design your own social sport. Um, yeah, I don't no. think it's about that. But I, I do think there are different things clubs could do around just that, you know, offering training only. Just come to training for a few weeks and see if you like it, you know. Um, and, and, and for youth sport particularly, oh, my gosh, if I could just have a social stream where it's not as competitive. You know, for kids, that's, that's all we hear about it, um, when I go out and talk to kids is why do you stop playing sport? And they say, well, you know, because they're always grading me. You know, yeah, I'm always being tested. Yeah, I don't get to play with my friends. And and it's sport for them is somewhere they go to de-stress. 
you know, yeah. it's somewhere that I want to go and, and get all the good stuff out of sport, all those mental health benefits that they need at that age because they're so stressed about everything else, you know. So just having a competitive option but also saying, you know, and there's this option over here where we're just going to have a team. It's not as competitive. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because I think I think we've we being the sports clubs have allowed ourselves to assume that 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 competition is what we do. We do a huge amount of strategic planning at, at sports clubs. And the first thing we do when we do that strategic planning is look at the rules, look at the purpose of the club. And inevitably the purpose of the club, sometimes it is to play in this competition. It is stated yeah. we will play in this competition. But inevitably, somewhere in there, it says to grow and foster the sport of in our community. It, yeah. it, it doesn't say compete, 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 compete. And yeah. so you, you raise hockey and one of the great, one of my favourite interviews in the Doing Sport Differently series was it, uh, with um, Frankston Hockey Club. They yeah. were pure competitive, a uh, couple of male sides, one female side, pure competitive couple of years ago they decided to introduce the j-ball which is the entry yep. level purely social um yep. modified equipment uh skill based not 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 game based skill based yep. fun social encourage mistakes they then <clears throat> so that was a hockey victoria hockey australia program so these yeah. programs are existing and then they did the the hockey sixes which is social yep. comp and then they transitioned the players, if the, those that wanted to go up, into yeah. competition to the point where they had four senior women's team. But ironically, yeah. what they were having is the competitive players coming down and playing with their mates that's and right. into hockey. And to me, that's the perfect club structure, in, up, down, wherever you yeah. want to be. And I think, yeah, you make some good points. I'm glad you mentioned hockey too, because so we did the research behind hockey sixes and J-ball, and that, and that was the, the research that we found. I think that just goes back to like at a state association level or, or a national level, the importance going back to sort of that, um, you know, yep. point one. Like yes. We did some really great, and it didn't, you know, it wasn't greatly expensive and it wasn't terribly hard you know, what we did with hockey, but what they got out of it was just some real clear understanding of their market, their existing players, yes. um, and also some of the parents of junior players. And that's, that was sort of some of the target market for J-Ball because J-Ball, you can actually play with kids up to grandparents, and yes. they've, they've had that in clubs. And the thing around that was when we talked to parents of junior hockey players, ultimately there was always one parent that was really into hockey and yep. they had got their kid into it. But the other parent, they had watched hockey and what they thought was, this is a really scary sport. It's scary. Yeah. And I'm too scared to play it. I'm too scared to learn about it. And those were some of the barriers, you know. And so J-Ball was that attempt at saying, well, here's a softer version that you can come and participate with your kids in, you know. Um, and so I think that's the importance of, of um, getting those really clear market insights. And so what are the barriers? You know, what do people want to do with it? Um, and, and what are those pathways that we can develop, which is why they ended up making two social sports, not one, you know, the J-ball and the hockey sixes. Hockey, um, yeah. 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 And and if we look at bowls, they've got the jack attack, junior jack yeah. attack, and they've got yeah. barefoot bowling. So you're, you're creating that, as you say, number four, that pathway, I come in, I social, I play around, yeah. 
social competition, into competition, out of competition, play whatever social yeah. competition I get to choose. So That's right. I think yeah. when we link it to, to framework or number six which is about sustainability i think that's that's what's going to drive the sustainability of clubs moving forward is is complementing competition with the the broader participation options the community wants yeah i think you're right and i i think it is about looking at your community and i think that's why i think big um target market research around you know that state associations and and uh, national associations can do in order to sort of develop um, new programs is great but in your club at your community you know it you know yes. go out and talk to people in your community and it doesn't have to be hard a great example is this golf club um it was it's on the border of south australia i can't remember its name but they had a kindergarten across the road and they wanted more women in the club you know yep. what they did is they just went over to the kindergarten when they were all dropping the kids off at, at the kinder and said do you want to just come over and have a look at the club while the kids are at kinder? You know, so there's a couple of hours there where they're free, you know, and they did that and um, nine women ended up going through a beginner program and three of them ended up becoming full members. The others just, just played a little bit, um, not as regularly. Um, but it's that, isn't it? It's about saying who's in my community, where can I go and reach them? Yeah, what do they want and how can I just um, give them different options about what they might want in my club? And then inviting them in and, and yeah, making yes. them feel, feel welcome. So yeah. you, you've talked to hundreds and thousands of people, participants, probably yeah. more importantly, non-participants, peak bodies. Yeah. Um, if if I'm a club that's purely a competitive club and that's my only participation options and I'm, and I've, and I'm looking at it going, yeah, okay, I'd like to build that social side of it, which has so many benefits to my club what would be the the i guess the the top tips or suggestions that you would you would give more broadly to a club going down that journey yeah i think definitely ask yourself why you want to do it and make sure that you're genuine about welcoming new people in and i think it's something that you've got to take your whole club on on the road with share the vision Mm. Um, because the thing is one bad experience can really turn people off so it's no good inviting um we often see this, you know, uh, we want people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds come into our club, you know, and he said, but what are you bringing them into? Make sure that your club is actually um, supportive of it um, and, and that's important, you know, and that may just be sharing the vision or, or um, opening up and having a club forum about ideas. So number one I would say would be think about why you want to do it and make sure the whole of club is on board. Um, and then two, I'd say, you know, look at the opportunities in your community and where are the groups of people that might want to play? And is it, if it's youth, then head out to a school maybe, you know, and and, and talk to some or, or get some of the kids of your um, adult competitors in and talk to them about what they might want. I think if you're going to introduce a new program, you probably need the support of, of your state association um, yeah, on no board. Idea. And I, I think there's some great, you know, like you, we talked about, there's some great programs out there. Um, but I think don't be scared and don't think it has to be big and don't think it has to be all changing. If it's yeah. just we set up a a, a, um, a runabout game of netball or football or golf or just a runabout game, you know, on a Sunday afternoon for some people and see how it goes. Yeah. It's not yeah, don't hard. Over- you know? Don't overthink it. Don't so- overthink it. 
No, I, I think the thing is though about having the whole of club on board is the other thing is you don't want to start something on a Sunday afternoon and keep it there and not integrate it into the rest of the club because then you're ostracising people and you don't have that sense of belonging. It's often yep. the fault we see with, you know, you have women's programs on one day and men on the other and never the two shall meet, you know, and it's yep. a separate yep. club. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so include the whole club in it. Start small. Fantastic. Yep. Fantastic. Well, we've gone well over the half hour. Um, we started off thinking these would be 20-minute discussions. They drift out a little bit further, but we've managed to drift to 35. So, Dr. Erica Randall, I, I could talk all day. Your knowledge and experience is extraordinary and the, the guidance that you provide sport through the research and, and the sharing the learnings is, is fantastic. So, thank you so much for joining us today on the live stream and being part of our sports community. Thanks, Steve. And thanks for all the other ones that you've done. It's really, it's great to give clubs a voice. I love it. Thanks. Wow. Listening to Dr. Randall talk about how clubs can attract new participants, it, it truly thought provoking. As we learn, or as we will learn time and time again throughout the Doing Sport Differently podcast series, if clubs don't evolve to meet the needs of the community and the changing preferences of their community members, then over time, many clubs are going to struggle to attract participants. I know this sounds dramatic, but it's actually true. If we go back to the interview with Dr. Randall, though, it was really great to hear the background to how she and the Latrobe University team developed the six Doing Sport Differently principles. And over the next 25 episodes, you'll hear wonderful stories of how clubs have used these principles to offer new options to their community with truly amazing results. Remember, this is about complementing our club's current participation options with new formats that attract people to the club and create pathways into and out of the traditional competitive options. Each week, we'll see how doing sport differently principles are applied in different ways in different communities to attract different groups of participants into sports clubs. So join us each week as we explore different ways that those principles are applied. So in summary, just before we go, let's have a quick recap of each of the principles and then look forward that will set the platform for the next, next 25 sessions of the Doing Sport Differently podcast series. So principle number one, engage the target audience, reduce the barriers. So really what it means is instead of thinking about the sport we want to offer, we've got to think about the people we want to offer sport to and what do they really want. So that kind of flips the way we've been thinking on its head. What do the people want that we're looking to attract? What formats? How do they want it? When do they want it? What type of, is it competition? Is it social? And what's currently stopping them? Because we know if we take away the barriers, then, then people will come. As you will hear throughout the series, most peak sports bodies have used the principles to develop new formats for their sports, which clubs can simply pick up and introduce. 
right? So it's not about reinventing the wheel. It's not about thinking, geez, we to come up with a new idea or a new concept. No, have a look at what your, your peak sports body, what your association has got that you can just adopt and introduce into your community. So what we'll hear time and time and time again from clubs that have introduced new formats is that not only did the peak body supply the, the format and the resources, but they also supplied staff, guidance, help and support, as did some of their associations and local councils all have resources that can help us introduce new programs and promote them to our community. So principle number two, think about the principal participants as customers and consider their total experience. Now, really, that total experience is looking at it particularly through people coming to your club and your sport for the very first time, right? And clubs have to ensure that people can see themselves doing that. Right. And so one of the things that we need that we'll learn through this session, these series, is that often one of the biggest barriers for people, the biggest challenges of people coming to our clubs is actually going from the car in the car park and walking into the club for the first time. Right. So we need to think about that, how we overcome that. Principle number three, participation should cater for different levels of skill, ability, and fitness. Clubs need to build people's confidence. So think about how we introduce or how clubs introduce people to their sport at the different ages, not just at the introductory age six to eight level, but how do we introduce youths, young adults, um, adults and and the and, and older um, participants to our our sport. How do we do that? How do we bring them in? How do we teach them the skills, the etiquette, the language? And then, as their level of skill, ability, fitness, and confidence improves, what's the journey that we take them on? Sometimes it will be into competitive sport and our sporting options, and sometimes it will just be into social competitions or different, different elements past the introductory formats. So having that clear pathway is really, really important for keeping people in the club, which helps us with the sustainability of the program and obviously the club. Principle number four, it's about the deliverer. The deliverer is the most important person and the deliverer also includes that welcomer. How, how are we going to make sure that people do come from their car into the club for the first time? How do we welcome them, make them feel in, um, really that this is their club and they belong to their club? And, and then how do we make sure they have a great, not just sporting experience, but social experience in a way that wants them to come back again uh, and again and again? So, and number six is that sustainability. We want to make sure that we can scale our programs and sustain and make them sustainable, which again is that making people feel like they want to come back again and again and again and again. So those are the principles. Very simple. When you think about them, they're logical. And so each week we will look at clubs and sports who are doing sport differently.
and and look at the amazing results and that'll allow you to think about how you can take some of these ideas and implement them in your club really easily and simply and get great results as well so before i go just a couple of things i just want to acknowledge this podcast series has been made possible through our partnership with vic health and we really thank them for the opportunity to share the stories and successes of sports clubs who are doing sport differently. So if you're involved in a club or a sport and you want to hear about how clubs are attracting new people in large numbers, then I invite you to join me for each episode of this Doing Sport Differently series. If you're a sports club volunteer or if you help sports club volunteers or you know of a volunteer that needs help, then please check out the Sports Community website, www.sportscommunity.com.au, which has heaps and heaps of information, not just about today's episode, but so many training programs, resources and support for everybody in your sports club, all designed to make it as easy as possible to run your sports club. Finally, I'd just like to thank the sports community members. It's only with your help and support that we can, it is possible for us to produce this sort of content that makes it easier for sports club volunteers to volunteer at their club. So we thank you so much. For those of them might think that they'd like to help us support um, sports community to, to help volunteers, then please go to our website, sportscommunity.com.au and check out all the resources. We'd love for you to become a member and help us make it easier for community sports clubs and their amazing volunteers. I'm Steve Palace. Until the next podcast episode, thank you so much for being part of our sports community. Music.